This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Hi, I'm Dan from Shares and AJ Bell, and with me is Laith from AJ Bell. Hello there. So we've got masses of great stuff on today's episode. We'll be looking at the market reaction to the UK becoming the first country in the world to approve the Pfizer's COVID vaccine. And Laith is going to talk about problems with people who are holding cash in NSNI accounts. That's right. We're also going to be talking about the latest turmoil in the retail sector. And I'm very pleased to see say that uh, Shares Magazine's Deputy Editor Tom Sieber is joining us today to talk about various bits and bobs, uh, including the stellar gains from AIM stocks this year. Tom, welcome back to the pod. Hello, everybody. So first up, it's time to run through the latest events on the market. So, Dan, what's been going on this week? So, I mean, as we record this, we've just had news that, um, you can say, the UK is going to be the first place that's approved um, the COVID vaccine. So one might have thought that would have triggered uh, quite a big jump in the stock market. But actually, the, you know, the, the, the FTSE 250 and the FTSE 100 indices have done nothing. So I think it's a classic case of it's better to travel than arrive when it comes to the stock market. Do you remember the stock market's forward-looking and it's all about investors pricing in what they think will happen. So if you go back, the markets have rallied in the UK about 15% since the start of November. So that is your your COVID sort of celebration has already happened, really. So it's, I mean, it, it's, I guess it's good news that the vaccine's going to start to be distributed. Um, but I guess, you know, what's next now for the markets to look at? And I wonder if they're going to start sort of fretting about how much or how quickly this, this vaccine will be um, sort of doled out. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's that's just sort of front and centre of mind is is sort of uh, how the vaccine will, will, will obviously um, sort of trigger uh, a revival in, in, in the economy and also in sort of corporate earnings. And there's still big question marks about um, how quickly that might happen and whether we're still going to get a lot more unemployment. Um, so there's plenty of negatives to sort of trouble the market. But I think it's I think it's still still very positive that it's, it's happening. So in terms of um, other stuff on the market, we've seen some of the um, sort of the, the past COVID winners of um, sort of losing appeal with investors. Zoom um, really disappointed investors the other day and um, Loop Up, which is another sort of um, sort of conference call sort of style conferencing business, um, had a big profit warning talking about um, a lot of competition uh, and it shares prices down sort of 60 odd percent. And Games Workshop has been down about 20%, but that's just recovered some of its losses recently. So I suggest that whilst lots of investors sort of buying value stocks, things that have been sort of broken in the past and might benefit from reopening a society, there's, there's, there are some people sort of dipping in and buying sort of quality names that might have sold off recently. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how long this rotation into value lasts. Do you think uh, there's an element of like looking for the genuine winners from COVID as well that you've got some that you know it was kind of almost a bit of a fad and people just went into lots of different things that they assumed would benefit but maybe people are being a bit more selective now yeah I mean you know obviously things like Zoom and stuff there's very high expectations but um, you know certainly speaking from personal experience um, you know I've been trying out lots of different um, platforms to sort of communicate with people and 
um, you know, Zoom wouldn't be up the top. Uh, I think people sort of sort of seeing the lay of land. But you know, something like Games Workshop definitely benefited from people in um, in lockdown having more time to spend. But you know, I, I think it's quite interesting how its shares have sort of been picking up in recent sessions. It does show that um, it doesn't take much of a sort of a, a pullback in some certain names for people to go to what they perceive to be uh, buying a bargain. But I mean, it's it's a bargain relative to to recent history rather than an absolute sort of um, sort of price to earnings or, or other sort of valuation methods. So the retail sector is continuing to suffer at the hands of the pandemic. This week, uh, we've heard about the collapse of Debenhams and Arcadia. Tom, what's your take been on what's what's been happening to retailers? Yeah, it's interesting. So, I mean, just quickly to bring it back to a, a sort of markets focus. In, in stock market terms, the big takeaway seems to have been the massive relief with which JD Sports shareholders agree the news that it's not going to buy Debenhams out of administration, um, which was essentially what, you know, was the final nail in the coffin, as it were. And I think it was clear investors really didn't like the idea of JD Sports buying Debenhams. And, you know, the fact that Arcadia was entering administration kind of gave them cover to walk away because Arcadia had concessions in Debenhams stores, so it, it complicated things. Um Unsurprisingly, for those who are kind of familiar with the way that he, he has often operated, Mike Ashley is, has been rumoured in some quarters to be interested in bits of Debenhams. Um, and in terms of Arcadia as well, Ashley is, is one of the people that has been kind of reportedly, you know, looking at those brands. Um, other names, JD itself might might have a look. And also Boohoo, um, which has got a bit of form in this regard. It, it's bought kind of ailing high street brands which have some enduring appeal so you've seen kind of uh, brands like oasis karen millen and then it's it's taken them online and I, I, you know it does seem like the likes of sort of top shop top man that would be in the sort of sweet spot for their demographic and yeah it'd, it'd be interesting to see what happens so i, I guess in terms of you know the the continuing fallout it, it's a case of watch this space um Beyond the, the markets itself, I mean, it obviously raises the prospects of a huge amount of job losses. Both were really big employers. Um, and there's the question of what happens to employees' pensions. So I, I don't know if anybody else has got any any thoughts on that. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the, the pensions is a big issue, obviously. Um, there is a pensions lifeboat, the Pension Protection Fund, which should step in. For some people, it's going to guarantee all of their benefits. But depending on where you are in terms of your retirement savings journey, you might actually take a hit um, of around 10%. So the pension you built up, I mean, that's a lot different to how things were 20 years ago uh, when there wasn't a lifeboat scheme around. Um, so it's it's a massive step forward, but it does mean obviously that um, you know some people will 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 suffer a fall uh, in the retirement income that they can expect, albeit a fairly modest one, uh, given what could happen. You know, in, in in previous years when your employer went bust. So that's kind of the the pension situation. Obviously, the kind of job losses um, are not good news for, uh, obviously for the employees in, in question it coming up to Christmas, but also I guess for the wider economy as well, because those just add to those num- numbers of people that we're expecting, um, to kind of join the, the claim count over, over the next six months as, 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 you know, more, more, more job losses tot up partly because, you know, we're now expecting furlough and government fiscal support to, to run out, um, um, at the beginning of next year. But also, I know Debenhams and Arcadia have just gone into 
administration now, but actually probably the peak time for retailers to go into administration is kind of January, February after the Christmas rush, because that's when, you know, they can clear their stock, they can do some good business over Christmas and then, you know, pay the piper in the new year. So unfortunately, it could be the case that we're seeing similar news running into 2021. So we're coming into this very important period for retailers where I think that it's their chance to show that with shops now open again after the England lockdown, there's quite a lot of people who won't want to have done their shopping online. So they're desperately hoping that people are going to be going through their doors and buying stuff. Um, there is sort of some uh, positive factors here, but the government's let shops open for 24 hours between December and January if they want to. And I, I noticed that Primark is a good example. It's going to open 11 of its stores there um, 24 hours a day just to see if it can sort of drum up business to try and sort of catch up really. So like I say later, you know, January will be the crunch time, but um, you know, I think shops and you know retailers are doing everything they can now to have a successful December. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I think the other sort of couple of points I was going to make is that you actually, if you look at the figures, retail spending as a whole is is holding up reasonably well. It, what's happened, and you know, it's it's obvious really why that's happened, but is that there's been an acceleration in the trend of of moving away from physical shops and the high street to online. Um, and I, you know, I think the other point is that. And, and it kind of chimes with what you were saying, Leith, too, that, that there's going to be further consolidation in this sector. You feel like it, it's not, we're not kind of at the end of this yet, I don't think. Yeah, that's right. And I think if you look at, you know, something like Debenhams as well was really, it was creaking from a very old business structure. Um, there, I remember looking at them a couple of years ago before they, they became delisted from the stock market. And the average term of leases that they had was 17 years. So, you know, in terms of trying to, you know, move a business that's got that type of long term commitment to, you know, physical space that is is just not really as as productive as it used to be because people are shopping online is very difficult. And particularly if you look at the kind of nature of some of the the outlets, the Debenham outlets, they're they're really kind of big stores. We've got one here where where I live in in Bristol. It's like a four-story department store. It's huge. And it's very difficult to see who on earth is going to take over that space and make it productive again. I'm sure it's likely to be broken up into smaller units, I would expect. But that's the difficulty I think that the Debenhams in particular has had, is that it had those long lease lease commitments. It also came out of private equity back in, in 2006 with a lot of debt as well. And, and they'd taken a lot of, you know, the, the shops that the Debenhams owned were done this sale and lease back thing where they actually sold them, uh, got the cash in, but then rented the stores back out to Debenhams. And again, that just creates a millstone around your neck because rather than, you know, owning a, a store and trading from it, you're actually paying rent on it. So it's an ongoing cost for you. So for those people who prefer to squirrel their money away in savings accounts rather than spend it in the shops, unfortunately, there's a bit of bad news if you've got that cash stashed in an NSNI account. So, Leith, what's happening there? Yes, yeah, more bad news for cash savers. So NSNI, I'm sure everyone probably has heard of it, but it is the government-backed savings provider, raises money from the Treasury, and its most famous product is premium bonds. Um, which have, of course, that kind of two million pound prizes uh, every month. It's cutting its interest rates, so it cut them uh, last week on the on the twenty fourth of November. Um, this affects a huge amount of cash. Um, it's around one hundred and thirty six billion pounds worth of people's cash where rates are, are being cut. 
Uh, and actually on a, a fair chunk of that 25 billion or so, they're actually being cut to pretty, pretty much nothing. So the main accounts that we're talking about are their, their direct saver uh, and their investment account, also their, their income bonds and their direct ISAs. So these are largely the kind of instant access products uh, that they provide. And rates at the moment, depending on the product, are somewhere around the 1% mark. Um, not a huge amount, but 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 it's something, and they're being cut to again, depending on the account, somewhere between naught point naught one percent at the uh, at the sharp end of proceedings uh, to to around point one five percent. So really, you've put, you know close to zero basically. Um, premium bonds, as I said, the kind of most popular product are falling as well. So at the moment, there's a the way premium bonds work is you don't get interest as such, but interest is paid on them at a certain rate, and then that is distributed in the prizes. So it's interest is paid, but it's distributed unevenly. So some people get nothing, and some people get big prizes every month. Um, the interest rate that they apply is, is falling from 1.4% to 1%. So that's a cut, but it's not looking as bad, actually, compared to other instant access products on the market. And also premium bonds, it's important to know, are tax-free. So particularly if you are a, uh, a, a, a taxpayer on your savings, so you know if you've, if you've used up your, your, your savings allowance and you're paying higher rates of tax, then, then premium bonds can be a valuable thing thing to hold but you know overall it's a, a you know a pretty um a, a pretty kind of poor scenario for people who are who are in those products because they're they're seeing pretty dramatic falls in the amount of in- interest that they're going to get so what, what why is it that nsni have taken this decision to cut rates so drastically yeah it's it's a good question um i, I mean the NSNI are backed by the Treasury and, and the Treasury asks them to, to raise a certain amount of money in funding every year. Um, that, that amount was actually raised from £6 billion um, earlier in the year. In July, the Treasury said, actually, we, we need more. There's a pandemic on. You know, we need more cash. Um, can you raise that to £35 billion? Um, and when the Bank of England cut its rates back in March, NSNI didn't cut its rates whereas a lot of other providers did. So there has been this huge gush of money into to NSNI. And at the last count of their 35 billion target, they'd actually taken in 38.3 billion. So they're over their target, in fact. And the, gov- the way the government says it gives the target is, well, you can go either way by, by 5 billion. So in theory, they've got a bit of headroom, but we've got ISIS season coming up and the end, and the end of the tax year. Uh, so they've got until April. So they they are really looking to to kind of discourage, particularly new money going in, and perhaps even encourage uh, a little a little bit of, of money to move away too. And I say, is, is there anything that NSNI savers can do to um, improve their situation? Yeah, well, I I think you know I look around for for better rates is probably is probably the key. Um, there are better rates available, you know, as cash is, is, is yielding so little, you know, it's not going to set the world on fire, the returns that you're getting, but you can still eat the, the most that you can uh, out, of, out of your money. Um, we did some consumer research at AJ, AJ Bell and actually found that around four in 10 people were, were planning to, to move their cash, which is actually a huge, a huge number. You know, if that, if that number of people, of, of, of savers actually move the money away, then, you know, it's going to be a huge amount of money that's, that's flowing out of, of NSNI into into other other building societies and banks so l- looking around for the best rate is is is, is obviously 
key. Consider maybe locking some of the money away for a bit longer, you know, in, in fixed rate products, which, you know, you can't touch for six months, one year, three years or five years. Have a look at those deals. If you can lock your money away for a bit longer, maybe see if you can eke out a bit of money that way. You can use the new kind of cash savings hubs that we've seen come to the market that make it easier for you to, to, to manage your cash in all, all one place. Um, and, uh, you know, I'd, and, and perhaps also, you know, if you think about tying your money away for a bit longer, consider investing in the stock market. If you've got five to 10 years before you're looking to draw on it, you know, you, the, the stock market, the UK stock market, for instance, at the moment is yielding around three and a half percent with the potential for capital growth as well. That looks pretty attractive compared to cash if you're on, on a 10 year view. So for people who are willing to take the risk, that's another option. It's probably important to point out that because NS&I is backed by the Treasury, that does mean that your money is, is, is secure. So there is you know, almost zero chance of the Treasury defaulting on its obligation. That's different if you have money with a commercial bank, because if that bank, bank defaults, in theory, they could not repay depositors. It's very unlikely because of all the kind of ring fencing and regulation that, that banks have to go through. And there is there is also the financial services compensation scheme, which will which will basically protect people for up to eighty five thousand pounds for each each bank that they have that they have money with. So for most people, that's probably adequate cover. But for people who have absolutely loads of money sitting in cash, then NSNI can actually provide quite a secure place for for quite a lot of cash because it does have that that treasury backing. But I guess again, if you've got that much cash, you actually perhaps have to question whether it could be better working in the stock market for you. Brilliant. Leith, thank you so much. That's really helpful information. So from savings to stocks, I wonder how many listeners can guess the returns from the FTSE 100 and the S&P 500 and AIM 100 this year. Um, I mean, just as a, as a put you on, on the spot, Leith, do you, do you have a, a rough idea how much the markets have moved for the FTSE 100, mm, S&P 500 and AIM? FTSE 100, I would say down 10%. S&P yeah. 500, I would say up 5%. Uh, AIM 100, I just don't know. So I'm not even going to speculate. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's a good good guess. And the FTSE 100 is down 15%. S&P 500 is up 13%. But the AIM, the AIM all share is up 11%. And the AIM 100 is up about 10%. So, I mean, it's essentially, if you put your money into AIM rather than sort of the large caps in the FTSE 100, you would have had a much better year so um tom how on earth did aim manage to do this yeah no thanks dan <laughs> it's a good question um i mean looking at some of the the performance data is overall one thing that struck me um just before we start on on some of the top performers um it's interesting that that around a fifth of the aim 100 has a market cap of a billion pounds or more so that rather belies this idea that AIM is is purely a home for out-and-out small-cap companies or kind of purely kind of blue-sky idea-based stocks. There, there are some genuinely sort of big businesses on AIM. Um, if you look at the, the top performers year-to-date, there's some, there's some clear sort of identifiable themes, um, one of which is around gaming companies or computer game companies or video games, if you want to use the sort of American parlance. Um, and I mean, I think... One thing to to say at the outset is it, that's something worth celebrating, and it, it's worth remembering that the UK has quite a rich history when it comes to computer games. Um, after all, one of the biggest computer game franchises in the world, Grand Theft Auto, started in Dundee, so 
it, you know there is quite a long long his long standing history of of computer games um of the computer games industry in in the uk and if according to the trade association um the tiga um games development headcount is at an all-time high and revenue was up from 747 million to 907 million in in 2019 and that kind of positive story has been reflected in the performance of names like Team 17, Codemasters, Keyword Studio, Sumo, Frontier Developments. Um, and part of the reason for why gaming companies has, have done so well, it, you know, or one of the things that can be attributed to is the pandemic, obviously, because people have been stuck at home. Computer games are, offer a kind of an obvious escape from, from the kind of boredom associated with lockdown. Um, but also, you know, as well as that kind of macro development, there's also been success at a company level and, and in the wider industry, obviously you've quite recently seen the launch of the next generation consoles from the two really big operators in this space. So Sony with its PlayStation five and Microsoft with its Xbox series X, um, one challenge for some of the smaller games developers in the UK is that they're potentially a bit more reliant on on you know just one or two titles, whereas you've got really big companies in the US like Electronic Arts and Activision Blizzard who would have you know their success wouldn't be quite as sort of tied in just to to one or two names. Um, the the flip side to that is that arguably it makes them perhaps more attractive as acquisition targets and. Um, we saw Codemasters, which specialises in motorsport titles. Um, it recommended a 485p per share takeover offer from uh, its US rival Take Two Interactive uh, last month. Um, it, looking at that issue of, of kind of being reliant on just a few titles, Team 17, for example, which is, has had a really strong run this year gets around that issue because it's got this kind of incubator model. So it offers a platform for independent developers to bring games to market under a kind of revenue sharing model. And that's allowed it to diversify. People might be, if you're into computer games, you might be familiar with Worms, which is the title that, you know, it it kind of based itself on and it used to, you know, account for nearly all of its revenue. But it's it's actually a relatively modest contributor now because it's it's kind of, it's developed this model. Frontier Developments has, has done well as well. I mean, it, its profit was actually a little bit lower um, in in the sort of most recent financial year, but that's because the previous year it launched a, a big title linked to the Jurassic World franchise, so it, it didn't have that this time around. But it's it's got some interesting IP, and it, it launched a new game this year that's that's been received well. Um, and then you've got names like Keyword Studios, Sumo, which are kind of almost like this picks and shovels approach. You know, they offer services and expertise to the sector and, and obviously those services have been high demand, so they've done well too. Um, moving beyond the sort of gaming sector and yeah, looking at some of the other really strong performers outside of the gaming sector, um, Synergen has, is up more than 1,200% this year um, and it has a focus on respiratory drugs, which obviously put it in the spotlight due to um, COVID-19 and it's come up with its own coronavirus treatment, which is still in, in relatively early stages, but seems to be progressing well. So that's obviously generated a lot of excitement around the company. Um, and similarly, uh, Avacta, which is another very strong performer on the AIM-100, um, has been working on its own COVID treatment and has been involved on the testing side too. So it shows there's some really smaller, innovative UK players which have really contributed to the fight um, against the pandemic. Yeah, and I think something quite interesting about AIM, people do associate it with very small 
businesses, um, often not even generating any revenue. But I, I think if you look at the, the, the sort of perhaps quite a lot of these strong performers this year, you know, they're, they're, they're proper businesses, aren't they, really? They, they, um, but I it's, someone said something to me just before we start this podcast, which made me sort of so I take another look at aim and thinking okay I, re- I, I didn't quite realize that but they were saying it's quite relevant to compare the performance of aim at the moment with the s&p 500 um it's because 135 of the 180 plus tech and digital businesses on the london market are actually on aim so i mean tech and digital stuff has definitely been in fashion this year um also covid related stuff as well obviously on on, on sort of treatments for covid and um, the gaming is obviously uh, flip side of um, or, or what people were actually doing. You know, you're stuck indoors. So actually, that's that's they're keeping themselves busy with that. But really, it, it's you know, there are some quite interesting businesses on there, and I wonder whether there's a sort of preconception these days that people just dismiss a market overall. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's there's obviously historically been some really high profile disappointments and people have had their fingers burnt, haven't they? So that doesn't help. But I think you're right, it'd be wrong to to write off the entirety of AIM for that reason. Yeah, I th- another. it's also worth pointing out that when people want to invest uh, from an index basis, you know, by a tracker fund, they're, they're sport for choice for S&P 500 or, or FTSE 100 ones. No one ever seems to want to sort of track the performance of the AIM index. But And actually, I had a quick look. I, could, I couldn't see a single ETF that actually does track the AIM market. But you know, yeah, if you look at these figures, performance figures like we have for 2020, I wonder whether we might start to see people um, launch an AIM ETF going forward. But yeah, it's an interesting point, definitely. I mean, I think historically it was seen as much more of a stock picking market, so it wasn't necessarily as appropriate. But but as you point out, that's not been borne out this year, has it? So No, I mean just looking at some of the businesses that did do well, yes, there are some which you perhaps would associate with the market. So I'm not, not sort of saying it's complete transformation from what it used to be because, you know, top performer here is Great Land Gold up 1,470%. And this is this is a gold explorer. This is perhaps what people would associate AIM with. Um, the idea that someone is out there, um, thinks it's found the next big thing. Um, and if it does, its share price goes crazy. Well, clearly this has happened with Great Land Gold. It's uh, looking at sort of gold in Western Australia, it's partnered with the big mining company, Newcrest, um, and, and Newcrest essentially has got a farming agreement. So the more money it puts in to explore this project, the more the asset it owns. And I think you know, investors have been excited because Great and Gold has been um, publishing some very, very high quality drill results all year. I think lots of people think it's just going to be taken over. So this, you know, that's that's a classic tick in the box. But, um, but then one of the other big performances, Naked Wines. So this is... Obviously, now an online-only operation it used to be called Majestic Wine, um, and you know this is this is a classic old you know what what people perhaps call an, an old school uh, retail business that's sort of transformed now into sort of the modern era through digital means. And um, you know, the Naked Wines is up one hundred and sixty-five percent this year. I wonder that's probably partly down to everyone turning to drink during lockdown. So I don't, Leith, how many? Uh, crates of wine have you had delivered in the last nine months 
I don't really think I should disclose that, to be honest with you, Dan, because people <laughs> might get might get the wrong idea or perhaps the right idea. I did actually have a crate from Naked Wine because they do quite good introductory offers, but uh, <laughs> I haven't actually cracked any openers yet. So that's the, yeah. that's the tester, isn't it? Can I be a bit of a ne- neghead on, on AIM and just, just highlight two risks that I see with the AIM market? One is I do sometimes think about these kind of big companies, you know, that are kind of one billion plus that are listed on AIM and just think, why don't they go for a main London listing? And part of part of the reason is it is it is more it is more expensive, but also the reporting requirements are lesser on AIM as well. And that just just does just kind of raise questions in in my in my head about about kind of some of some of the companies on AIM. Now that's that's not to say that you know there are funny things going on, but we have seen kind of instances of AIM. AIM companies like Patisserie Valerie and, and more recently kind of Boohoo, where you know there have been big corporate governance issues. The other thing that I would say is that there is an IHT tax break on AIM stocks, which is actually quite good if you if you can get it because if you hold certain AIM stocks um, for 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 two years or more, then they're potentially IHT free. But uh, if the government ever decides to remove that tax break, it could spark a sell-off in the AIM market because there are lots of uh, um, uh, um, fund management companies out there who basically create AIM portfolios for people bespokely for this for this very purpose. And if if they do change IHT on AIM, and who knows if they would ever do that? I mean, we know that they're facing a big black hole at the moment, but that could spark a big sell-off all the way across AIM stocks as well. So sorry to be negative, but that's that's just a kind of couple of risk risk warnings I'd probably attach to the to the to the, to the AIM market. Yeah, I mean that the, the IHT thing is is huge because I think they, a year ago there were sort of murmurings that they might the government might be looking at that again. Um, and you're right in saying that there there are some significant uh, number of stocks on there that are literally being bid up by people owning them just for this um, inheritance tax perk. So. Um, I think the whole market would have a massive shock if that was taken away. But I think, and you're right, say that it's risky. But you know, there's been plenty of examples of um, you know, sort of companies with dodgy accounts and stuff on the, on the That's main market true. as well. That is very true. Um, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I, I think yes, there's also been you, know, you probably go back ten years. There was plenty of um, Chinese companies on AIM that nearly all of them proved to be uh, not good investments at all. Um, so there was this sort of natural fallout, and um, perhaps th- there was a the market sort of naturally tidied itself up because all the rubbish essentially just went bust. Um, but I just think that it's you know if an investor is looking at this space, looking at sort of smaller companies, which t- typically you'd find on AIM, they understand the risks. Um, it's perhaps to, to just to give it give it a bit thought of, of the pros and cons of everything just don't jump to conclusions that it is literally all full of rubbish because there, there is there are, you know, there's some just interesting names on there i do think thanks for that guys that's everything from us for this week thank you very much for listening to the pod we hope you've enjoyed it uh, and if you did we'd love it if you told your friends and family about the show as well if you think they'd be interested in a bit of money and markets chat we could be found on all the major podcast platforms like amazon apple spotify and podbean or you can even listen to the show via the aj bell you invest website or the shares magazine website as well that's it for now though we'll catch you next time thanks very much Thanks, guys. Goodbye. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell or Shares Magazine. 
The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor. Thank you.